essentially. Amen. Our listening ears, listening ears. Are you listening? Are you listening to the voice of the Lord? We're going to encounter that today. We're going to encounter that today in Jeremiah 35. Before we get there, I did want to mention this to you. And before you respond with any kind of celebration, know that this is not the end. It's always almost the end when it comes to my education, it seems. But I did want you to know that this week I officially submitted my dissertation. And so uh, those two and a half years that I've been spending writing this dissertation, roughly 73,000 words, 249 pages, a thousand or so footnotes, hundreds of sources, all the uh, painful hours of working through material, I have submitted it. And so I praise God that I have crossed that line. And so <laughs> I, knew, I knew you would do it anyway. Um, in, a, in about two months, I'll travel to Wake Forest, and I will sit and defend what I wrote. And so uh, that's the last hurdle. And uh, undoubtedly, I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to turn red, like I often do up here. And I'm probably going to stumble over a lot of words, and I just hope I don't pass out. <laughs> hope I don't pass out. But I wanted to share that with you, and uh, you all know that this has been uh, a task of mine to finish for such a long time. And so I'm thankful that I'm where I am, and you have a part in that. But I want to let you know about that before we get into our text. Jeremiah 35. Jeremiah 35, and this morning I just want to read the chapter, and then we'll walk through it together. So we'll begin by reading Jeremiah 35. The word of the, or excuse me, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak with them and bring them to the house of the Lord. In one of the chambers, then offer them wine to drink. So I took Jezaniah, the son of Jeremiah, not the writer, son of Habizaniah and his brothers, and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them to the house of the Lord and to the chamber of the son of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officials, above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, keeper of the threshold. Then I sat before the Rechabites, pitchers full of wine and cups, and said to them, Drink wine. But they answered, We will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, You shall not drink wine, neither you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house. You shall not sow a seed. You shall not plant or have a vineyard, but you shall live in tents all your days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. We have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he commanded us to drink no wine all our days, ourselves, our wives, our sons, and our daughters, and not to build houses to dwell in. We have no vineyard or field or seed, but we have lived in tents and have obeyed and done all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. 
But when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the land, we said, Come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and the army of the Syrians. So we are living in Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction and listen to my words? declares the Lord. The command that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, gave to his sons to drink no wine has been kept, and they drink none to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and amend your deeds, and do not go after other gods to serve them. And then... You shall dwell in the land that I gave to, your, to you and your fathers. But you did not incline your ear to or listen to me. The sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have kept the command that their father gave them. But this people has not obeyed me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, I am bringing upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster I pronounced against them because I have spoken to them and they have not listened. I have called to them and they have not answered. But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done all the things, or excuse me, all that he commanded you, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall never lack a man to stand before me. Let's pray. Father, we once again ask for your grace to understand your word, to see Jesus clearly in it, and to rejoice in your goodness toward us as we are transformed by the work of the Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of the message this morning is True Faith. True Faith. And so you got the sort of the, the flow of the story here. You got the flow of the story. We, we got everything is, is, is sort of built around this guy, John Adab. John Adab, the son of Rechab, and that's where we get the Rechabites. And I want to give you some context here, and we're not going to go back and read it, but in uh, 2 Kings 10, 15 through 27, we see Jonadab, and it's a little different spelling there, but Jonadab is actually working with Jehu, King Jehu, to remove Baal worship, the worship of false gods, from the land. So they call all the people who worship Baal, all the priests of Baal, they uh, ensure that there are no people that worship the Lord truly there. And then they essentially slaughter all these people. So you can understand how the Rechabites are coming from a, a lineage that is very zealous for the pure worship of God. Jonadab, he was truly a zealot. He gladly made this plan with Jehu. He wanted to see Baal worship leave. And you know that in the days of Jeremiah, and this is about 250 years later, in the days of Jeremiah, all the Baal worship and the false god worship, it still, still finds its place among the people of God in Judah. So, 
We have the Rechabites who have this, this zealous line, Jonadab, who's faithful. He's not a prophet, but you can understand how he's very wise. Think about the commands that he gave them. He said, all right, my family, and to be clear, this is not expectations that they're putting on anybody else. Jonadab decided that he and his family were going to live a certain way in order to express their commitment to God. Now, what's interesting is all these things that, that he uh, commands of them are not things that God commanded of the people. But you understand how there are times in life, and there's a lot of application here, there are times in life where putting aside something that is a freedom for you is actually helpful for you to worship God. Setting aside some things, you know, they're not bad in and of themselves, but maybe I don't need these things. Maybe it's your entire life. You set aside these things in order that your faithfulness to God may be strengthened and your service to God may endure. So he gives these commands. You're not going to drink any wine. You are your sons forever. You're not going to build a house. And we know God expected them to build houses in the land. Even in the exile, he told them, chapter 29, you're going to build houses and live in them. But Jonadab said, you're not going to do these things. You're not going to sow a seed. You're not going to plant a vineyard. You're going to live in tents. That you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. Now, I think this is a weird choice of words. Because we talk about the people of God entering the promised land as like the place where God has set us up to have our kingdom, right? We're talking about the Old Testament saints. And so it seems that Jonadab had the wisdom to know that the old covenant was not the end of all things. It seems that he had the wisdom to know that there was something beyond the promised land that was going to come. And so when it came down to Nebuchadnezzar entering the land and taking land and, and doing with the land whatever he wanted to, it wasn't as big a problem for them because they just had to fold up their tents, keep on moving. They were living for something beyond what they could see. There's so much there. And honestly, I'll tell you, this week I had a hard time knowing how this text was supposed to be preached. One commentator on this, Stephen Smith, he says, Faithful people are often saying no to what makes sense in the immediate present in order to believe what they cannot see. This was the testimony of Jonadab, and this was the testimony of his descendants. At this point, roughly two and a half centuries of his people. Now, what we, what we have here in their example is a comparison. You're with us, chapter 34, the leaders of Judah. You remember they made this covenant and then when it was convenient, they needed their slaves back, so they re-enslaved the people that they had formerly set free. And so they acted like, hey, we're honoring God with this covenant, setting people free. Uh, we need our slaves back. So chapter 34 and 35 are a comparison. They made this covenant with God. It was a, apparently a big show. They slaughtered the animal and split the animal. It was all the necessary things for a covenant before the eyes of God, if we can say it that way. 
And then they, they had no intention of keeping it. And then we see the Rechabites, things that God did not even expect of them, they were willing to keep. They didn't make a big show about it. There was no covenant. They just listened to the voice of their father, Jonadab. So we see this comparison. Leaders who reneged on their covenant with God. And then we see this family who continues in the way that they were taught. And so God is giving us an example. And now we get to our theme. Examples of earthly obedience expose a lack of true faith in God. Examples of earthly obedience expose a lack of true faith in God. I want to give you three ways God relates to true faith this morning. First off, God tests true faith by obedience. And this is from verses 1 through 11. Just a reminder, Jeremiah is told to bring them all together, and he sets, according to the word of God, he sets wine before them. And it's not just a little wine. This is like bowls and bowls and bowls full of wine and cups, and they're filling up cups. And so the whole family is looking at all this wine, and Jeremiah is told by God to say, drink wine. Jeremiah doesn't necessarily know what he's doing. He may be expecting, you know, God to, to correct them because they're just so weird doing all the things that they do. They don't build houses. They don't plant seeds. Maybe he's thinking that something like that is going to happen, and he may be surprised to learn that's not what God is doing. But he is showing them as an example of faithfulness. God tests true faith by obedience. As you see in the story, they refused the wine. 250 years, they have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, their father. 250 years, they have stayed away from this stuff. Imagine being in this situation and thinking, hey, the enemy's coming to destroy all this, and we have the opportunity to enjoy this wine. We have the opportunity maybe to uh, set, up, set up a future after all this is over. Who knows what they're thinking? And I think that as we consider the way God tests true faith by obedience, James is a good commentary for us. So we're going to turn to James. You don't have to turn. I got it on the screen today. I think we see a few lessons here that are at work that James describes. First off, the, the, the first lesson we see is a lesson on testing and tempting testing and tempting. James 1, 12 and 13, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Right here in this passage, we have Jeremiah bringing a test this is not a temptation. Bring in the test, and they pass the test. A test and a temptation may look very similar from our perspective. Maybe we don't know the difference from our perspective, but what makes the difference 
is not what we see, but it is the intention of the one behind them. When God brings a test, he wants you to succeed. He's opening the door for your victory. He's opening the door for your growth, your maturity. Yet when the enemy tempts, they intend for you to fall. The enemy intends to do you harm. They scheme to trip you up and keep you down. You know, I think about uh, my experience as a kid learning how to ride a bicycle and, and teaching my kids. And you know that moment, like, you know that moment that, that mom or dad has to let go of the seat or let go of the handlebars? From the kid's perspective, it's like, oh, no, you want me to die. But that's not what's happening. From the parent's perspective, this is, hey, you have an opportunity to learn. You have an opportunity to enjoy this, to to get this, to make it to the next level of bike riding. Because when we look at a test and a, a temptation, we must understand that it is the intention that is behind it that matters. God wants his people to succeed. And he puts this test before the Rechabites to show that they can succeed. There's a lesson on testing and tempting. There's also a lesson on hearing and doing. Hearing and doing. James helps us out again. James 1, 22 through 24. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Walter Bregeman, a commentator, says, listening is a key part of this passage of Scripture. It's actually a key part of chapters 34 and 35. Listening. Now, we we need to understand that listening according to the Bible is not just the fact that uh, words are being said and I'm hearing them. That's not the way the Bible speaks about this. We're going to get into that a little more. But I love James's illustration here. A man looks at himself in the mirror intently. And then he walks away and immediately forgets what he looks like. This is like somebody who hears the word of God and then walks away unchanged. Man, I... I shudder at the thought of how many times I've encountered God's word that I have heard in my ear, the word of God, but I've not really listened to God. Do you really have the expectation to come and hear from God and walk away changed, transformed? That's the kind of listening that believers must do. But James' illustration is so helpful. Last week, this week, last week, I received an order of glasses in the mail that uh, I have not ordered or worn glasses in about nine years. I had eye surgery. And I'm getting to that point where at nighttime, I kind of need some help seeing things clearly and depth perception and lights and those kinds of things. And so I put those glasses on and I look in the mirror and, and I see in the mirror, they're like, I don't know if it's just like my head is slightly misshapen or what. 
but my glasses have a hard time sitting level on my face. And so, you know, when I look in the mirror, I'm seeing this and I adjust it and I readjust it and I'm looking up and looking down, make sure it looks right from all angles and sides. And then I walk away. You know what? I don't forget about that. You know, I'm wearing the glasses and I'm like, oh man, I wonder if they're straight. I wonder if Aaron is noticing that my glasses are they're crooked right now. It may not even be crooked. But you know, I'm thinking about that because I saw in the mirror that my glasses were not sitting right on my face. James is telling us, look, to hear the word of God and walk away unchanged is just like that. You see it and then immediately it meant absolutely nothing to you. There's a lesson on testing and tempting. There's a lesson on hearing and doing. These people heard the word of Jonadab that had been passed down through these generations and they obeyed it. Yet the people of God heard the word of, the word of God and did not listen to him. There's a lesson on testing and tempting, a lesson on hearing and doing, and then thirdly, a lesson on faith and works. James 2, it helps us. 14 through 18. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body? What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James so appropriately says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Here's the point. Don't say that you love the word of God and that you have faith in Christ and then excuse yourself from the commands of Scripture. Don't excuse yourself at that point from the commands, the expectations of life in the kingdom. These are absolutely connected, faith and works, but they are not the same thing. Faith, faith is not simply an affirmation of factual things. Faith has fruit. Faith shows evidence. Faith is life-changing dependence on what you know to be true. This is faith. And so James continues, James 2, 19 through 20, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Look, it's a terrifying thought to think that the people of God sitting in churches around the globe on Sunday morning every week, they have the same kind of belief as demons. That's terrifying. That we have the same kind of faith as demons, as if somehow simply affirming the truths of the Bible is enough and I am released. I agree with you, preacher. Now I'm going to go do what I want. So James says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. So coming back to Jeremiah 35, 
Jonadab's descendants believed in what he taught them. They believe in the vision that he led his family with. They believed it enough to remain faithful to it under trial. Who's been dead 250 years? No doubt this was an alluring temptation. Consider what this wine represented. It represented the end of a nomadic lifestyle, houses to call home, land and possession, security, safety, stability. But they believed, along with their father, Jonadab, they saw that this land was also a land to sojourn in. But as we said earlier, I'm convinced that they knew that there was something better coming. There was something new coming. Move it on. Second, second way God relates to true faith. Second and third are much briefer, so stick with me. God commends true faith against obstinance. God commends true faith against obstinance. So I want to be clear here, as commentators agree, God is not commending their lifestyle. I mean, it doesn't ultimately matter. He's commending the faith that is behind their lifestyle. So if you think this is not about drinking wine or buying houses or planting seeds, you're missing the point. God encouraged such things in Israel and even in exile, as we said. So don't be sidetracked. The point is, true faith listens. These Rechabites listen to the voice of Jonadab. These words passed down through the generations and God's saying, I'm right here. I've been right here. I never left you. I preserved you. I was here when you needed me. And even when you turned away, I stayed right here. They listened to their dead quadruple great-grandfather or whatever he might be, but my people won't even listen to me. Verse 13, will you not receive instruction and listen to my words? 14, I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. Verse 15, but you did not incline your ear or listen to me. And he says it again. Verse 17. So we come to face to face here with the tremendously important truth once again right here to hear God's word. That is more than just audible words passing into your ear holes. To hear God's word and to walk away with actions unchanged in your daily life, it is the very definition of hardening your heart against God. We need more than just the hearing of Bible words. We need the listening of the Rechabites. You know, when the financial advisor says to do it, you do it. When the boss says to do it, you do it. When the CDC says to do it, you do it. Well, most of us. Some of us. <laughs> when the doctor says to do it, you do it. 
When the policeman says to do it, you do it. When the streetlight says to do it, you do it. Hey, it's red. Stop. There you go. The streetlight. The streetlight often gets better obedience from the people of God than God does. Why is it that when God speaks to us in his word by the spirit revealing the son and with him every promise assured, every comfort available, every blessing secured, the enemy can't take it away. The story's already written. The future of glory is as good as done. Why is it that when God speaks through his word, we are content to walk away unaffected? No more faithful to the God of our salvation. They were obstinate. And so God esteems the Rechabites for their faithful obedience. Thirdly, finally, God rewards true faith with his presence. Verses 18 and 19. To the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done all he commanded you, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall never lack a man to stand before me. God rewards true faith with his presence. So their faith is shown to be authentic. It's shown to be genuine. Their willingness to carry on the faith of Jonadab by foregoing many of the luxuries promised in the land, this receives reward. And because of their faith, God says they'll never lack a man. This is the key. They'll never lack a man to stand before me. And these words, stand before, are used in numerous places to describe the roles of prophets, priests, and kings. So it most certainly terrified those who fail to listen to God because it suggests an end to the presence of God in Jerusalem and Judah and possibly an end to the Davidic lineage. Yet, God did not break his promise. He simply communicated very clearly that many who presumed to be a part of true Israel, in fact, were not. They stumbled in unbelief. And yet the Rechabites, they're counted among the faithful. They're counted among the remnant that would carry on. They would have representation before God. They didn't need the land anyway. As we conclude, it's this standing before God that is our problem. By trusting ourselves, by going our own way, by embracing